So for the last uh, two talks, we've been going into the uh, coming to terms with the body. And as Vimalo suggested to me just a few moments ago, this third one is getting rid of the body. <laughs> we've tried to come to terms with it and it hasn't worked out, so we'll just get rid of it. <laughs> no, this is coming to terms with the body too, at least attempting to. So, if you recall, what was being emphasized was uh, attachment to the body, this notion of identification with the body, or possessive attitude towards the body. I am the body. This body is mine. Various parts are mine. And the suggestion that that attitude leads to a great deal of suffering. And in various contemplations uh, in the Buddhist meditation tradition designed to uh, soften that attachment, to loosen it up and eventually to dissolve it altogether. And what we've also been attempting to do is strike a balance between uh, sensitizing ourselves to the true nature of the body, which is that ultimately it's impermanent and that it dies, the term ultimate nature was used, and it isn't the right term. What I was getting at was finally, or uh, in the end, the body is impermanent and dies. And it's more the true nature of it. To balance that with care for the body. And that's where I hope at least the eating meditation was the, there were some suggestions. And the two needn't be in conflict at all. It's possible to care for the body realistically, all the while deepening our understanding of the true nature of the body. They can work very nicely together. In the the Buddhist uh, tradition, the body is uh, considered very special, very rare. It's quite unique to have a human form. That is, of all the forms that exist, the human form is a rather rare one, and not too many. And it's a, a good place to be, from one point of view, at least. And that is that spiritual practice can be undertaken with this human body, so that it has tremendous value. It's hard to come by, it's very precious. And in common sense terms, people from time to time realize that, whether they have a spiritual frame of reference or not, they may come to realize that life is precious. This can apply to the to aging, to the way in which we use sexual energy. For example, uh, it's very difficult to use sexual energy sensibly. For most of us, it's either uh, the one extreme of not knowing how to use it, not using it, repressing it, or using it too much, again, not knowing how to use it. And what this practice can help you with is not so much uh, some of the work of Tantra or Taoism, which can be very helpful, but just to help bring awareness to the part that each one our body plays in the sexual exchange or in the absence of it. If for one reason or another, uh, there are periods in our life when we're celibate or intentionally celibate, how to correctly do that 
And awareness can be tremendously helpful with that because it enables us to see how we actually use the body rather than a theory or an idealization. As we age, of course, awareness is extremely important. This is setting the the groundwork for uh, the death awareness that we'll be talking about today. Aging is, of course, part of that, part of the whole contemplation of impermanence, which is runs through every aspect of this practice, which, believe it or not, is a joyful practice. The real joy comes from dealing with these subjects directly and in a mature way, rather than pretending they don't exist, avoiding them, and paying a price for that. That, That's for each one of us to investigate to see if that's true. With aging, perhaps we get fixated on one phase of the life process, the way our body was at a certain age, and then as the body ages, we try to hold on to that, whether it's in terms of physical prowess, energy, strength, sexual attractiveness, the use of sexual energy itself. And there can be an enormous gap between the truth of the way our body is at a given time, how we want it to be, how it used to be, and this causes tremendous suffering. The body changes its appearance. We do lose energy. Gray hairs do come. Our vision, our hearing, our senses become a little bit more feeble and eventually quite feeble. Posture, not as strong. Our digestive capacity weakens. These are just facts. It happens to a greater or lesser extent to each one of us. And there, is, there are sensible ways of caring for the body to, to make that journey more reasonable or not such a bumpy ride. But nonetheless, the general direction is the same for all of us. And so the possibilities are enormous to get it attached at any step along the way when we think that we are this body. I am this body. And people can suffer because their ankles are one-tenth of an inch too thick, you know, or the shape of their, the length of their nose, or the color of their hair, or any kind of physical feature that somehow doesn't fit the culturally prescribed norm can become so blown out of proportion that we suffer tremendously. Adolescence is a very clear time of it, but it it happens throughout life. The whole um, issue of aging gracefully, which is becoming more and more rare, as everyone attempts to be a perpetual adolescent, it seems. Just how 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 to honor these facts as they come up and perhaps the question of it's possible to live uh, with joy that's appropriate for the different life cycles. Now, these are things that have existed in other societies before. It's not new, but somehow in, the, in this world, perhaps there's a, I don't know, but part of the optimism of science is that eventually all these things will be solved. And then finally, uh, we come to uh, the fact that the body has to die. Each one of us, our physical body, must die. Everyone in this room, without exception, will be dead. We will all die. We'll do a, a little meditation, a taste of a meditation, in a few minutes to uh, try to make that more real. 
And in talking about uh, death awareness or the contemplation of death, and check yourself as the talk goes on, uh, what I've discovered in myself and others, not so much anymore because I've worked with it for a while, sometimes resistance and even annoyance and even anger. I've had it directed at me sometimes with this once in Cambridge. So if you've come up here to meditate, and meditation means accumulating positive, wonderful states of consciousness, joy and peace and whatever it is you think you might get, or at least at some point. You didn't come, you had a hard day, those of you who have just come up here and been working all week and perhaps a long car ride and you come up and what is the talk on? It's going to remind you that you're going to die. (laughs) And in the Buddhist tradition, it's a highly valued contemplation. There are many forms of it. It's given, it was given immense value by the Buddha. Uh, This whole idea of dealing with the fear of death right now rather than living as if there's no death and uh, pretending there's no fear and then, of course, having to deal with it in a massive way later on when the time comes to die or as we get much older and the signals become clearer that we will die. And so some of you may be, may be in your 20s and this may seem remote or you can hear it and it sounds quaint or cute. But the intention is, uh, whatever age we are, is to begin to uh, develop this consciousness, to uh, develop this sensitivity or sensibility so that it becomes part of our mind stream and it may have some beneficial effects and we'll go into that in a moment. First, let me... uh, Regarding, I have a few, a few uh, quotes from the Buddha and from uh, one of the Dalai Lamas on death. And uh, <clears throat> I've met a few uh, Tibetan teachers, lamas, and they have an interesting uh, tradition among themselves. Death awareness is, is, of course, as in all the Buddhist traditions, uh, used a great deal. Uh, and the teachers have, first of all, here's a, uh, a mala, these beads that are used to, sometimes to count uh, mantras or, or for bowing prostrations. And if you look at, first of all, it's made out of yak bones. This is to remind a person of death. And you can't see it, but there are two little skulls hanging from here. And this is not so unusual. And it's one, another way of reminding ourselves that we will die. And a few of the lamas, uh, one told me that uh, when you teach, when you give Dharma talks, uh, it's very easy to come to see yourself as this big teacher, and people sometimes treat you that way. And so some of them have this little tradition, which, which is what they do is before a Dharma talk, they'll go like this. Three times. And what they're saying to themselves each time is, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Particularly at the moment when the potential for vanity and delusion can be very great. You're a little bit higher. There's a Buddha in back of you kind of vouching for your authenticity. (laughs) 
Actually, we're all going to get off easy this morning. Uh, the kinds of contemplations that the yogis had to do in the times of the Buddha, uh, where there were charnel grounds available. And so you could actually go and see uh, corpses in different states of decomposition. And there was a systematic practice of spending long periods of time and very, very deeply contemplating what you saw, sometimes visualizing it, sometimes right on the spot with, in some of the commentaries, rather interesting instructions on how to do it, including just how close to come to the corpse. If you come too close, you might be offended too much. It might frighten you too much. Then again, if you're too far away, you won't see the details. So you have to just strike that right distance and you have to be at the right angle with the wind so that the smell isn't too bad. And a whole, it's all really specified, a whole practice laid out. I won't go through all this, but just a few from, this is again from that same sutra, the sutra on arousing awareness that we've been using as a rough guide for this uh, one part of it, for these coming to terms with the body. And these are the cemetery contemplations. I'll just read a few of them. He talks to the monks. O yogis, in whatever way, if a yogi sees a body dead one, two, or three days, swollen, blue, and festering, thrown into the charnel ground, he thinks of his own body thus. Verily, this body of mine, too, is of the same nature as that body, is going to be like that body, and has not got past the condition of becoming like that body. Just read another one, just randomly. And further, O monks, if a monk, in whatever way, sees a body thrown in the charnel ground and reduced to a skeleton, together with some flesh and blood, held in by the tendons, he thinks of his own body thus. Verily, this body of mine, too, is of the same nature as that body, is going to be like that body, and has not got past the condition of becoming like that body. So what the purpose is, is uh, seeing an actual corpse in a, various, in a certain state and reflecting on the obvious connection between what has happened to that being and what at some point will happen to the meditator. There are quite a more that have to do with this, just the, the bones or the bones in a powdered form, the bones just scattered all over the place. Let me read to you a few uh, verses from the seventh Dalai Lama who lived around the end of the 1600s, the beginning of the 1700s. First of all, uh, he prays to his own teacher and one of the things he asks for, he says, I turn for spiritual guidance. Bless my mind with your transforming powers that the thought of death may never evade me, that I may practice the Holy Dharma perfectly. Now, that connection is central in what we're doing. First of all, clearly we've not been brought up uh, to pray to have the thought of death be with us all the time. Quite the contrary. The society has been organized to try to keep that idea away from us as long as possible. I remember when my grandmother died, uh, practically being imprisoned in the bedroom. And I heard crying going on and all kinds of things. And I wanted to go. I was very close to her. I was not allowed to participate. And I was given all kinds of stories and whisked off to a movie and all kinds of things. Contrast that to 
the way in which the Dalai Lama was brought up and some of the, uh, many of the Tibetan Lamas. From the age of eight on, the Dalai Lama uh, met with elderly dying people once a month. It was a normal part of his training to sit at their bedside, talk to them, just establish a nice conversational relationship with them so that death uh, could be experienced as something natural, something that obviously happens to each one of us. It's a very different attitude than the one we have. Obviously, it makes for a different relationship to that once you grow up, or it can. Just a few, again, just a few sample verses from the seventh Dalai Lama. On the golden mountains far in the distance, rings of mist hang like belts on the meadows. Now seemingly solid, so soon they dissolve. My mind turns to thoughts of my death. In spring, the season of warmth and growth, the stalks of the crops were turquoise green. Now autumn's end, the fields lie naked and parched. My mind turns to thoughts of my death. On each branch of the trees in my garden hang clusters of fruit, swelling and ripe. In the end, not one piece will remain. My mind turns to thoughts of my death. In the belly of the vast plateau below me, the campfires of visiting traders glow like stars. But tomorrow they depart, leaving only refuse. My mind turns to thoughts of my death. Spirits were high with expectations this morning as the men discussed subduing enemies and protecting the land. Now, with night's coming, birds and dogs chew their corpses. Who believed that they themselves would die today? I remember this body when it was a child's, as it gradually took the form of a youth. Now its its every limb is twisted and worn. It is my own body, yet it delights not even my own eyes. Finally, body lying flat on a last bed, voices whispering a few last words, mind watching a final memory glide past. When will that drama come for you? And at the end, he has just a small commentary on it, saying what these verses are about. Verses for meditation on the ways of death and impermanence to inspire the minds of myself and others. So that first linkage between the remembrance of death and what is called here, what the seventh Dalai Lama refers to as, that I may practice the Holy Dharma perfectly. It's not to um, create a morbid state in us or to make us more depressed than we already are, although some of that may uh, of necessity have to arise and be worked with and to be gone through. But it's actually to arouse in us tremendous energy for doing this practice. Now, here, let me add a few words. All of these, there is lots written on this in the Buddhist literature, and they're written from the perspective of people who obviously value this work, 
who value meditation, who value spiritual practice. And there's a, a lot of assumptions made. And uh, you can't really make some of those assumptions with us. Some of this is very new. Many of us don't have the confidence or the trust that this practice or similar practices or that the spiritual life itself is all that significant. I mean, really, not, not just as an idea. And I'm not trying to stuff this down anyone's mind, but it's very important to understand this because sometimes what you'll hear will be uh, assumptions that because you contemplate the fact of your death, that naturally lots of your desires will fall away uh, and you'll become much more spiritual. But uh, I've tried this with a number of groups of people and sometimes it leads to quite the opposite. It's a, a kind of, well, that's true, so I eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> so I don't know what, you know, what effect this will have. Um, I can only tell you what it's intended. Its intended effect is to be beneficial in directions like the following, following way. To arouse in us uh, a sense of tremendous energy uh, for developing those the positive qualities in our life, qualities like awareness, like compassion, like patience, like generosity, uh, spiritual qualities that exist in all the great traditions, by no, by no means unique to Buddhism, to generate in us uh, perhaps a sense of more meaning to our life. Many of us perhaps don't have a clear sense of meaning to our life, or our values are ordered in some kind of chaotic or superficial way, or we don't really, we don't have confidence in how to live yet. And it's by uh, stressing this priority, by showing us the inevitability of this, that it's hoped that we take a good look at our life, seeing it as precious, and seeing that we don't have it forever. And as a result, this can have a tremendous corrective effect in our life. It can get us to practice, it can get us to practice with greater intensity, it can encourage us to examine our lives and see how we are already spending our energy, a kind of an inventory of how we spend our time. And here it can be interesting, and again, certain what might be assumptions uh, have to be made clear. In the Buddhist approach, when the body dies, that's not the end of everything, as probably you all know. There's a mind continuum, in other words, there's a continuity of identities. The I continues. Uh, although the body is dead, the mental continuum continu goes on. And this continuum uh, has the imprint of the kinds of actions and thoughts and sentiments. It's what we've developed in our life. It has the residue, the imprint of the way in which we've lived. That's what we take with us. And particularly those imprints that have to do with compassion, with wisdom, let's just limit it to those two, and other spiritual values that are kind of derivative of, of both those two major ones. Uh, it is thought that the best thing a person can do for oneself is to maximize those qualities of mind, because although the body dies, the mind doesn't. And when the time comes to die, What's most helpful for us is the state of our mind, the quality of mind 
that we have at our disposal. Everything else is useless as we'll go through the, uh, the meditation in a moment. Now, there's one implication to that which can be quite extraordinary. Uh, if we appeal to our, all of us, perhaps in the common culture that we've grown up in, appeal to our hard business sense, or just dollars and cents, cash on the line, you know, I'm from Missouri, show me. Some other terms like that. You know, I'm no fool when it comes to money, but how I spend my time. It can lead to a rather dramatic reevaluation as to how we are spending our, t- our time and can show that it really is very bad business. I mean, we're not being efficient at it. Because if it's true that at death, the only thing that remains with us is who we are, not what, not what we have, not our possessions, used in gross and subtle terms. And if it's true that we spend most of our life accumulating all those possessions, houses and cars and furniture and clothing and travel and just the endless amount of time we've spent accumulating things, just reflect on it. And if at the end, it's of no help to us whatsoever. In other words, we, let's say you've accumulated this beautiful home uh, if we could come back in a little while after we die, we'll see a lot of it perhaps in a thrift shop somewhere, you know, with some hippies coming and taking it and buying it. Wait a minute, that, you know, I, too late. Everything gets scattered, broken, thrown in the garbage. Family members haggling over it. You know, some get it and some get disappointed they didn't get it. And we, you know, it's all gone. We can't take our money with us. We can't take our possessions with us, our titles, our prestige, our wonderful clothes, nothing. Accept who we are. Now, maybe you don't believe in that, and that's all right. You know, just it's an idea to reflect on. If it has any validity at all, then the amount of energy that we spend on accumulating possessions for most of us is so far beyond what we spend on development, personal development. There's no comparison. We spend very little development time in developing the mind and an enormous amount of time accumulating money, property, and so forth, then it turns out that that's really a rather foolish way to spend one's life. Anyway, that's an attempt to appeal to us from a, a rational point of view. You may still want to go out and earn many million dollars full speed ahead. Um, some of the other benefits that come from this awareness, death awareness, have to do with uh, softening even the hardest of hearts. If you really get into it, uh, it starts to melt down certain kinds of really absurd rigidities. It's, it's a, it burns away certain uh, limitations that we have having to do with uh, nationalism and racism and uh, social class and coming from a good family and all kinds of pride differences between people, social and cultural differences between people, uh, in the light of a real experience of the, of the uh, finiteness of this life, so many of these things just seem trivial. So many of the lawsuits that we go through and the arguments and the feuds that we have and the resentments that we have and the worries that we have. And so this kind of death awareness, when done from time to time, can be a great cleanser 
a great leveler of all the differences. We are all the same. We're all, we all die. If the world could all see that now, if all the members of the planet could see that now, it would probably be a very different planet. And so it can uh, redirect our life in a constructive way, give us energy to do things that are useful for us. And it can start to help us let go of things that don't make any sense, that are really petty and trivial, and are not doing anyone any good. In doing a contemplation of this sort, what I'd like to suggest, since I don't, you know, I have some sense of some of you because we've been having interviews for a week now, there are times in a person's life where this contemplation is not too relevant. In other words, you may have a tremendous amount of suffering going on for you right now. Sometimes this can be helpful. It can put it in perspective. But at other times it may be a bit much. So you be the judge. In other words, I think it's of some value to just be exposed to it. I'm going to, in a few moments, just give you a, a sample of the way in which you can use this as a, a contemplation. And if you feel that um, this is not something you want to deeply involve yourself in, even during the sitting, then don't. Uh, if you find that there's some value in this, if some of the words that have been said, and as you reflect on it, you start to see that this can be a very usefully augment uh, your insight practice, then be careful of two extremes. Well, people seem to get caught in one of two extremes. One is the extreme of, my God, this is all true. We are going to die. We're heading towards it uh, moment after moment. It's all pointless and worthless and trivial. Everything he said is, is absolutely true and just a, a despair, just tremendous despair and depression. That would not, that's not the point of it. Or the other extreme, it's absolutely true. I can't believe it, how true it is. And the person becomes a fanatical yogi, you know, uh, frantically trying to get enlightened. And I've been around some people like that. Uh, it can be quite dangerous. And so, again, it's a, it's a balanced kind of thing. It's a frame of reference, a perspective that's designed to enter our consciousness to help us live in a more realistic way. Because it is true that we are going to die. And the degree to which we have not honored that and are living false values, perhaps a, a, a bit of reflection on it each day can be helpful. Okay, why don't we... Um, If you don't mind, close your eyes and assume a meditative posture and go to the breath. The outline that I gave you is made up of nine contemplations. Please don't look at me. Just uh, start uh, being mindful of breathing. I'll be going through the outline. You don't have to pay any attention to it. Just come to your normal meditation that you've been doing here for a number of days now. And one way of working with this, I found it rather useful and more realistic than, let's say, charnel ground, the cemetery meditations, which are not appropriate for us anymore. Is you might take one a day these nine, they come in three basic categories that uh, it's 
more or less three themes and three expressions of the theme. And one useful way to do it is to uh, take one and in a given meditation in a given day, uh, give full care and attention to that one and then just perhaps skim the other, the remaining eight. And then the second day, move on to the second one and give that your full attention and just skim the other eight until you move through it in nine days and then start all over again. How long to do it is really up to you. You can put in a lot of time or just five minutes. Sometimes it's very helpful. Uh, I myself have used them on retreats a lot when I feel low energy or feel I just can't sit one more time if my life depended on it, which it does, we're finding out. Just the reflection on dying sometimes uh, jolts you back into more energy. So there, there are uses of it that way. Just be with the breath for a few moments. If there's any resistance or annoyance at this theme, examine that. Very helpful. Again, as in all these meditations, the more concentrated your mind is, the better. Because then as you apply yourself to these reflections, they'll have more depth. When you do it on your own or in just a few moments that we just sample this, just very briefly, you can use illustrations coming from your own experience. free associations that come up having to do with the theme. Kind of a discussion with yourself about it. Many different things are useful. If during it you get a, an intuitive feeling for whatever the theme is, this is true of all these contemplations. For example, the first one will be on the inevitability of death that everyone has to die. You might at some point get a really vivid, intuitive grasp of that. If that comes up, then it's helpful to bring concentration to it and keep it there. Sustain attention to that for as long as, you, as it lasts. And then when it fades away, uh, go back to, the, to what you were doing. So the first is the inevitability of death, and there, as, as mentioned, there are three aspects on it. We're going to move through it just uh, mentioning each, but if you were doing it on your own, what I would suggest is take this very first one, everyone has to die, and just work with that thoroughly. One way to make that more real is to bring to mind people from the past, perhaps relatives, People who are dead, friends, famous people, strong people, rich people, actual people that you know about through reading, 
have known and begin to reflect that they are dead. They died. I myself have adapted the, some of the late show movies on TV to help me along with this contemplation. Very often when you see a movie from the late 30s or the early 1940s, you see people in the prime of their life, very handsome male leads and very sensual female leads, leading actors and actresses. And each and every one is dead. The whole cast is dead, the directors are dead, the producers are dead, or the whole long list of uh, credits at the end of the movie, all dead. And there it is, going on on celluloid, right in front of you. Going through the same issues, usually the movies are about greed, hatred, and delusion, what else? So I found that very useful. Recently, Krishnamurti, who some of you know of, who was uh, someone I've learned a great deal from. He died. And if any of you have been in his presence or heard him give talks, it's a very powerful force there. A small, thin Indian man with an incredible uh, independence and strength. Hard to imagine such a spirit being dead. But he died a few months ago. And on your own, you can continue this for much longer, of course, but I just want to move through the outline to give you a feeling for how to work with it. Another reflection which comes at this notion that everyone has to die is to bring to mind living people. People who are in our life right now. And to reflect on the fact that each and every one of them must die at some point. Take a given individual who's alive now. And reflect on their inevitable death. And just do that one person at a time, very carefully. Bringing the concentration that we've been developing over the week, employing it in this direction.
100 years from now, or almost certainly 150 years from now, absolutely everyone who's alive on this planet right now will be dead. All humans, all creatures. Not a one will be around. See if you can experience that fact, generate a sense of that fact, and experience it with your whole being. Take a few moments to do that. during these contemplations, sadness or fear is brought up, become aware of it. The second theme for contemplation under this inevitability of death is the fact that our lifespan is decreasing constantly, continuously. As we sit here, time is passing. Seconds are becoming minutes, which are becoming hours. generate the sense of an uninterrupted flow of time which is carrying us to the end of our life, the end of this physical body's life. And if you can generate even a bit of that sense, can you keep attention on it?
the third contemplation under this inevitability of death, is to reflect on the amount of time spent during our life developing our mind. Mind here includes heart. Reflecting that is very small. If you can, in just a few moments, do a time inventory of, let's say, a typical day. Not necessarily here, of course, but in general. How much time we spend eating, going to the bathroom, washing ourselves. All kinds of activities during the day. Getting in and out of cars, driving, being with people, sleeping. How much of the day is spent in Dharma practice, in the clarification, in self-clarification. time is spent being lost in moods, dreaming. This first section on the inevitability of the death of death can be very helpful in developing determination to use our life wisely, mindfully. bringing this willingness to learn into action as much as we can. The second major set of contemplations has to do with the uncertainty of the time of death. That we will die is a fact, it's inevitable. Many people have already died, we will die. But we don't know when.
there's no definite date. And very often it comes as a shock or a surprise. Life expectancy is uncertain. Sometimes very young people die before very old people. Again here, is it possible to generate a strong feeling of complete uncertainty regarding our sense of the time of our own death? Imaginatively, can we grasp that? And then, if possible, hold it in attention for a few moments. The next contemplation under this aspect of this practice, the uncertainty aspect, is that there are countless causes of death. Any one of them could affect us. Death from old age, of course, but there are also illnesses and diseases, murders, accidents. Wars. Natural catastrophes.
Of course, related to this is the final contemplation in this section having to do with how fragile the human body is. Some of us are in good health. train physically, perhaps overlook that. Our body is quite vulnerable, fragile. from being very strong and healthy to being helpless in a short period of time through one of these many causes or another. I had an uncle who was extremely robust in health and due to a very rare kind of blood poisoning due to a rusty razor cut from a rusty razor died within a month at a very young age. These contemplations can be very helpful, these three that we've just hinted at, in developing determination to practice now, if the future is so uncertain, no matter what age you are, we don't really know what's ahead of us. And so it can help develop the motivation to begin to practice now. And the final set of contemplations, which we'll move through, have to do with the fact, if it is a fact for you, or if it's not, at least let's say the possibility, that only insight into Dharma, into spiritual laws, can help us at the time of death. In this contemplation, what can be very helpful is to imagine yourself dying right now. You're on your deathbed. It'll soon be over. You're feeling weak. You're in your own home, surrounded by all of your possessions, people who love you, people who you love.
And the first contemplation in this section suggests that all the possessions and enjoyments that we've accumulated can't help us at all anymore. They're useless. Wonderful books that you've gotten from used bookstores that took you a long time to get. Wonderful high-tech machines that help you in all kinds of ways in the kitchen. To write things. The beauty of the house itself and all the possessions. Have no value. If you hold on to them, grab for them, try to make them have some value for you, our dying becomes a dying full of turmoil. There's no dying with any peace of mind if we can't let go at that point. Similarly, with the love of people who are present, no matter how much they love us, no matter how much they care for us, no matter how much we love them, there's nothing that can be done. In fact, if there's very strong attachment, if the love includes very strong attachment, The dying can have great anguish in it. And finally, the body itself, our body. Which has been our constant companion. We've given it so much time and energy. We've washed it and fed it and dressed it, exercised it, worried about it, looked at it in the mirror, presented it used it. We don't really own it. We can't command it to stop dying. We can't command it to do very much of anything except what it has to do. A kind of it's an impersonal process.
body has given us great pain, great pleasure. If you're feeling great attachment to it in this visualization, in this exercise, be aware of that. That's very useful. Experiencing how hard it is to let go, even in imagination. How much we identify with our body. And of course, this last section is especially helpful or is designed to be especially helpful in encouraging us to develop the mind. If you recall, what was suggested is that the only thing we have with us when we die is that, the mental continuum or mind stream. Please return to the breath once again as we finish this just brief tour. Contemplation is designed to help us develop the idea of death being natural. It's only our inability to accept this that creates so many problems. It's helpful to finish a death awareness contemplation on a positive note. optimistic sense, for example, of our own possibilities. We have every chance to live a vital, meaningful life. It's up to us. It's possible. Practices exist. Support exists. Resources exist. And so this is simply designed to help us bring our values into balance, to guide us in the use of time and energy. And also 
to grasp the possibility for each and every one of us of not being so afraid of death That is, if we explore our fear of death now, perhaps when we actually die, we can die in peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.